Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. If you are hearing this, it means that we were able to record a podcast. Yeah, we're not even going to get into the stupidity <laughs> of, of the last month, um, but, but let's just say that, that, that we, we had an entire episode that never happened. Uh, we had an episode that never that never happened. We had an episode that was never recorded. We had five minutes of this episode that were never recorded. But now we're here, and hopefully this ends up being fine. Yes. Again, if you're hearing it, hopefully it's fine. Hopefully we don't put up just like mangled garbage. It wouldn't be the first time. Um, or if if we do, hopefully it's like I, I actually garbage. edit it now. <laughs> hopefully it's the mangled garbage that you have come to expect and love. Um, so yeah, <laughs> happy happy podcast back week. Happy um, podcast flash. back week. Sorry, Nick's that you're stuck with RJ Barrett, I guess. Effing A. Don't. <laughs> why do you remind me of that bullshit? I was going to come up eventually. I mean, I just figured we'd lead off with that. And that's not how the first five minutes of this podcast started last go around, but that's how it's starting now. That's fine. It's still comical. Um, everyone, I'm sure, heard about the NBA draft lottery where, you know, the year the Knicks finally decided to tank. Um, the odds went from like 25% for the, for the worst team to 14% for the worst three teams. Um, so that sucked. And then the Knicks proceeded to, um, despite having a, the, a better chance than the two other teams in competition for the first and second seeds combined, um, ended up with a third pick, uh, behind, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies who had a 6% shot at the number one pick. And the New Orleans Pelicans, who also had a 6% shot at the number one pick. So the Knicks will probably draft R.J. Barrett. They seem to really like him. I really wanted Zion. I personally think the Knicks should um, trade the third pick to the Cavs at five for uh, DeAndre Hunter and get a couple picks back from that maybe trade themselves into the back half of the first round for another player, and then hopefully sign at least one of Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving this summer. Yeah, I mean, I find it hard to feel bad for the Knicks when everyone is assuming they're going to get KD. So if that if nothing happens, I won't feel, feel bad, but I'll, I'll at least like pity them. If they only end up with like KD and Kyrie and not Zion, I'm not going to feel bad at all. So. Yeah, I mean, if, 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 like, that's the thing. If, if we end up with, like, if you have a team next year that is KD, Kyrie, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, and RJ Barrett, like, yeah, I'm not going to really shed a tear about that. It's just that that team could have had Zion Williamson instead. Well, yeah. instead of RJ plus all the other good shit. Yeah. I do find it interesting that uh, people are like, losing every, like their minds over Zion. Like I think Zion's going to be awesome. I just think like the odds of him being better than like, you know, the five or 10 best players in the NBA now are pretty low. And he's being treated like he's already better than like Anthony Davis in some respects, um, which confused me, but uh, yeah. I mean, I'd rather have Zion than Anthony Davis, but that's not because I think he's a better player than Anthony Davis. It's a contract thing at that point. It's absolutely. Yeah. For me, this is a contract thing. This is, this is, I didn't want, like, if we got the one, the number one pick, I didn't want to trade him for Davis because I'd rather have a bunch of kids under rookie deals plus two guys on a max deal. Then when the max deal guys don't deserve max money anymore, you need to keep them around and let them walk and give that money to the kids that were there. 
for what hopefully is some deep playoff runs. Correct. So we'll see how it plays out. He's not, Zion's not skipping. Uh, he's not going to force his way out of the Pelicans like that. I saw it getting floated today. And it, I mean, it's technically on the table, but he's not, it's not going to happen. He's going to be in New Orleans. So hopefully people enjoy that. This was two Knicks, two Furious. You're here on a hot 985 here on the, <laughs> we're just talking Knicks. Knicks and the and the NBA draft lottery here on the on on, on the Knicks hotline. Who do we uh, who do we got calling in? Just, I don't just know how I got roped into a into. I mean, I I started it, I guess, but you you did start the Knicks fan. podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you're a fan who should be dancing on graves. Yes, I'm a fan of the the wonderful 17th pick and the 29th. Yeah, that's those are both good things. Sure, we'll find out. Yeah. Um. What we're here to talk about, and, and, and sadly, it's not the Knicks for an entire podcast. Maybe it's for the best, really. Uh, Bill Connolly started his ACC football previews on Tuesday. He started with Louisville, going from the bottom to the top. So he started with Louisville, uh, moved on to North Carolina on Wednesday. Uh, I would guess he's probably somewhere in the, I don't know, Wake Forest range or whatever tomorrow well we'll find out in the morning and, and you'll it'll be up by the time you list this probably wake forest or whatever would be like a great like acc themed indie rock like ambivalent indie <laughs> rock well yeah i mean like like if you yeah, if you were an acc themed like metal band demon deacons is yeah. just it's, the it's least metal school in the <laughs> acc but, but the most metal name but the most metal name for sure wake forest is pretty metal too Wake Forest's campus is about as docile as it gets to that. Yes. It's, I'm surprised, I'm surprised like, anyone has fun there. Um, yeah, like it seems like way too pristine when you're walking around the quad. Like, like it's, it's like just, you're afraid to, like, it's not like how you're not supposed to walk on ESF's grass, but you like get why there. But for Wake, it's just because they've spent a lot of money on it. <laughs> <laughs> now we're also a grass uh, podcast. We are. We're touching every base today. Um, just just mid-season form we had we did record a podcast last week so it's not like we're completely not fresh it's just no one will ever hear it it's lost to the the ether the 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 demon deacons have swallowed it up sadly but yeah we we bring up uh, bill c's uh, previews because on top of having these team-by-team looks uh, of most of syracuse's opponents of the season we also get to look at the win probabilities for syracuse's upcoming season right now uh obviously bill doesn't have this but at the s&p plus has us projected to win 6.7 games. There's a lot of toss-ups on there. I know I said in the post that went up on uh, Wednesday morning, right now there are three sure wins, well, likely wins. Uh, Holy Cross at 98%, Liberty at 82%, and Western Michigan at 67%. Uh, and then there are a boatload of toss-ups. you got BC, Louisville, Wake Forest, Pitt, Maryland, Duke, and NC State, all somewhere between a 64% and 40% chance to win. Um, and then you have likely losses, Florida State at 31%, which, as I mentioned in the post, I don't buy. And then Clemson at 9%. Now, Bill's rankings use a mix of returning production, so not necessarily returning starters, um, uh, two- and five-year recruiting rankings, and then obviously just you know what, you, what your players have done um, in, in recent years. So there's reason to, on paper, you know, maybe shed some data on Syracuse. The two- and five-year recruiting rankings aren't necessarily – uh, up to snuff with most of the other teams in the ACC. Uh, when you lose a guy like Eric Dungy, Dante Strickland, Jamal Custis, uh, those are all, and Chris Slayton, those are all guys that, you know, 
put up big numbers. Uh, what this doesn't necessarily account for is the fact that, you know, you can have a next man up type uh, arrangement with your wide receivers as Syracuse has that Tommy DeVito, uh, who is factored into the recruiting rankings, you know, can potentially be a better fit for Dino's system. So like Bill never claims that the numbers are perfect. Uh, and I think that like when you look at Florida State having a 31% uh, chance of victory for Syracuse there, like that's more a case of, you know, Florida State, the talent on the roster should win, but it can't account for SU's scheme being what helps even out the the, the talent um, difference between us and a lot of the other teams in the ACC. Yeah, and then like in years past, this has been like, uh, you know, usually I feel like we're hanging around with the four and a half to five win projection, and now we're up to, you know, rounding up to seven. So like it is, it, it basically last season made us look two full wins better despite the fact that like the recruiting uh, situation looks largely the same. And despite the fact that we lose a lot of important players, as you alluded to, which does drive our rankings down. So uh, it's not hard to envision us, you know, even if we over, only overperform by like one game this year, that's an eight win season. And if you're going to follow up our first 10 win season in forever with an eight win year, despite having to replace a lot of guys and having a, a pretty young team overall, like that's a, that's you're, you're then making like starting to build uh, towards a consistent, winning uh, program, which is what we're, we're aiming for. It does You don't need to, like, j- saying that we have to go win 11 games this year is unrealistic. Um, I think you want to just show progress in terms of uh, making sure that this isn't going to just be a one-and-done a one and done situation or something where we're going to be yo-yoing between bowl games and not and not making bowl games at all like we were a bit under Marone, um, even if things would have flattened out there. Um you want, we want to see that we're on more solid footing now, especially like with Dino locked up for hopefully the foreseeable future um, with, you know, this team starting to really roll in its, in its system, especially on offense. Um, just because we're projected for 6.7 wins here uh, doesn't mean that's like a disrespectful thing or a bad sign or a bad thing or any of those. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, like, I, you know, I'm optimistic about this season. You're optimistic about this season. But I do feel like a lot of fans have kind of taken – some of the offseason hype and really bought in a little too hard. And, and maybe some of the outside media has too. I think that, you know, there, there, I mean, like I said, there's potentially, you know, 11 super winnable games on this schedule and one almost assured loss in Clemson. And I don't, I don't want fans. I don't want myself even to think that like 11 one is like, I mean, it's on the table, but it's not on the table to the extent that like it is for Auburn or it is for like Florida, like there's still a bit of a gap there that still requires like luck, like Florida and Auburn are going to be more talented than almost every team they face, save Alabama and maybe Georgia. So like for them, 11 and one is not exactly the same stretch goal that for us, it would take a lot of luck and a lot of things falling in exactly the right way. Um, Last year we had some luck, uh, we had a lot of turnover luck. We didn't have a lot of luck in terms of um, the uh, toss-up games there. This year, I think we have more toss-up games. So when you see that 6.7 and you scratch your head, well, like given the fact that right now we're only getting out of this group, you know, 6.4, we're getting 1.2, 1.8, 2.4, 2.9, We're getting 3.4 wins out of that toss-up group. If you go four and three, then you already just picked up another 0.6. And now you're at 7.3, according to the S&P Plus. Like, there's a lot, like, there's a lot that goes into this, even if you just go four and three against that toss-up group. If you want to add Florida State in there, if you go five and three against that group, you know, now you're, now you're at eight wins. 
Yeah, and then and then it, you take into account like some of the young guys who didn't play that much or um, are expected to take a step forward um, could wind up exceeding the the uh, what we had out last year from these positions. So um, it doesn't mean uh, a. I think the the numbers uh, from last year's team, Bill C's numbers were um, lower than what like the the reality ended up being. Like the ten wins uh, was was I think a good deal above the uh, win expectancy based on our S&P Plus last season. Um, so that would indicate, like, you know, you might come back to the pack and get eight wins, or, like, in most seasons, this would have been an eight-win team, and they got, and they got lucky in a couple of aspects, as you said, uh, and got to ten. Um, that could also mean that uh, this year's team could perform, you know, just as well as last year's, and maybe they only win eight games. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was a step, a step back. So... Um, yeah, they're, they're interesting to look at, uh, preseason. Like, obviously there are so many, uh, variables that we can't account for without actually seeing this team play with as much as, as is going to be different this season, um, that you don't want to freak out too much. But, um, I do think it's a nice thing to like, look like on paper, uh, even at numbers that might even be slightly like pessimistic. Um, we look like, like a solid bowl team and, and hopefully there's a lot of area to improve. So. Uh, definitely not not too bummed out about it uh, for sure, and it is nice to see all these games, like you said, that are that are considered toss ups now. Where years before we'd be like, all right, well, if we win, you know, two thirds of our toss up games, maybe we'll make a bowl game. And now it's like, if we win half our toss up games, we're definitely in a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of you know my, my old like you know win four, lose four, and then see what happens in the middle thing is kind of out the window at this point, and and, and that's a that's a really cool place to be. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, fans should believe the hype on Dino should believe the hype on this team in, in many ways, but like, yeah. And as you and I have said, since last season ended, if we, if we quote unquote step back to eight and four, we could be just as good of a team. Um, and it just, it just, the ball bounced one way or the other. I mean, the, the one, I guess, caveat on luck would be, I know David Hale talked about this in his piece on Syracuse's turnover luck a couple of weeks ago. We won our games by such an amount that luck doesn't necessarily course correct from a wins perspective. Um, UNC would maybe be the only game that that could bounce back the other way. All the other wins were were pretty much by far enough where even a, a course correction luck wise would only make would make our I think average was like twelve points uh, per game uh, win wise would maybe course correct that to like five or six points. So that's, I mean, that's, that's impressive. That's great. I think that's equally a product of Syracuse's improvement and the state of the ACC right now, where a lot of teams are oddly like caught in this middle ground. It's not because they're not good. It's because everybody's, I think the same level of good. Yeah. And there's also the turnovers specifically, we could still, because of how we play defense, I would be a little surprised if we weren't um, still in the positives in turnover margin. It might not be as with the crazy number that we were last year. But we could improve in other areas uh, where it offsets the uh, turnover luck coming back to the back to like a more reasonable level where last year we were just benefiting so much from it in terms of like it was I mean, we just had one of the better numbers in the country, not that it was like the reason we were winning all those games. But I I think you can offset that with like improvements just in general uh, in more sustainable parts of the game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that that's something that like, you know, again, David Hale alluded to, I kind of mentioned in a post um, that followed up on it. So I, I think that, yeah, d- don't, 
just because that number, which I think was like 31, uh, if memory serves, just because that turnover number is could potentially go down, will likely go down just based on uh, law of averages. I think two, you have to look at the jump, which David noted was super, super high, was also a product of a very concerted shift in the focus of the system. So I think that that definitely factors in. So a, a drop back to maybe 26 or 27 forced turnovers this year, maybe even 25, let's say on the on the more like extreme end, is still better than most of the teams in the country. So I, I think that that's worth keeping in mind and it's something that we can at least take some solace in. Yeah, I think that'll continue to be a focus of the team in general. And obviously you can't really account, like fumbles are, are found to be very random, interceptions a little less so, but this defense is designed to force turnovers and to force high variance plays. Like we've known that since Babers came. Um, that was kind of always the mindset on the defensive side to get the ball back to the offense. So I do think even if things come back to the to the uh, come back to earth a little bit, it'll still be um, a major focus of the defense. And the first couple of years we didn't see it as much, just because I think we had um, some talent issues and some depth depth issues and just weren't as a team. But last year, like we really saw probably an extreme version, but we really saw what can happen when when things are really clicking. Um, and I, I think it should average out to still be uh still be a, a strength of this team overall yeah i completely agree there uh while we're still talking football a little bit um big announcement today for syracuse they announced the first three primetime games on abc for football this coming fall and syracuse versus clemson that game is at the dome will be a seven thirty kick that'll be the showcase game uh also helping us out uh, is the fact that lsu at texas was the week two game um, which now puts us in a situation where it's very likely that LSU Texas is getting game day over um, Texas A&M Clemson in week two, which definitely puts Syracuse Clemson at a more appealing spot for week three, assuming both teams come in at two and zero. Oh. Um, so game day is not assured, but I would assume that as long as Syracuse can get to two and zero oh now, uh, all roads lead to the dome hosting game day, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think I think Syracuse Clemson is the if not definitive favorite, like a pretty solid betting favorite to beat game day that week. I would say it's probably like two thirds, like 66%, 67%. Yeah. I think Iowa, Iowa state is to me, like, I know I've seen some really dumb opinions about like Oklahoma, UCLA and things like that, which no, that's not happening. But, but, but I, I, I do think that, um, you know, looking at that Iowa, Iowa state game would be the, like the outside shot, um, to knock us out there if if we somehow trip up against um, Liberty or Maryland. Is Iowa, it doesn't matter necessarily if they will choose whatever game, but Iowa, Iowa State, is that a Fox game? I think you feel like it's usually a Fox game. That's a Fox game, but it's also at ISU. So they have the same like kind of novelty card that we do. Yeah. I think, I think us, it, like last year, Notre Dame, Michigan, I think was a, was NBC obviously. And they still chose that and they could have chosen a couple other things. Um, they could have chosen like Alabama, Louisville. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that they will avoid a game on another network, but I do think it being an ABC gives us at least like a push, um, at least a decent edge because they do want to promote that game if possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if, if it comes to a toss up, I think they're going to go with the ESPN or ABC property. Um, I, I, like I said, I think the fact that LSU Texas didn't end up being a, a Fox game, I think helps us out immensely because like I said, I think that sets up well. Cause I mean, you and I have talked about this too on Slack. Uh, they haven't been in Austin in a while. 
Um, Texas is going to have a lot of hype, warranted or not, um, coming into the season. LSU-Texas would be a huge game that they'd probably love to be all over um, for week two. So I I think odds are pretty great as long as, again, we we can just do our part and get to 2-0. Yep. And as we've seen, that is not always the easiest thing, although I do feel pretty good about it. Um, and I had just those Bill C's numbers, but I, we could, you can go look and see what the like numbers tell you the odds are here. Uh, so 82% to beat Liberty, Maryland's uh, 50%, but still I feel pretty good about it. Same. Uh, let's take a quick break from our, uh, to hear from our sponsors. And we're back. Uh, we'll do a little halftime, Dan, and then we can talk maybe a little bit about basketball and some other things. Uh, so what have you been drinking? We'll keep it to the last week since you and I did talk about what we drank previously last week in the episode that never aired and never will. Um, yeah, so you if you have to go find the, the hidden audio somewhere to find out what I drank in Portland and Atlanta. Um, but for the last week, uh, I still have a bunch of, uh, from my local Stanford, Connecticut brewery, not local anymore for me, but my hometown brewery, Lock City. There's Subliminal Versus 2. Um which is like an Oreo coconut uh, stout, which is delicious. Um, let's see what else I had. Uh, I went down to Asbury Park for a show uh, weekend this weekend, this past weekend, and uh, was able to get some local things from there. Um, two things from Dark City Brewing. Uh, they had a uh, double dry hopped upstage IPA, which was good, and then a social mosaic, uh, mosaic um, sour Berliner Weiss, uh, which was delicious. Uh, probably the best thing I had down there. I also had Tartan Brewing's Tartan of Milk Stout, uh, which was really good. Um, I had a good and new IPA from Springdale Brewing up in in uh, Massachusetts, which was delicious. Um, and then one last thing I had. Oh, some Civic Sunshine made its way down here. So that was always nice. Very, very nice. Yeah, I, uh, I always love me some Lawson's Finest Liquids. I'll, uh, what did I have? Oh, had a... Uh... I had a bottle of Black Tuesday port uh, that was sitting in my fridge for a couple of years. Aged really, really well. It basically just tasted like port, which is pretty dangerous for a beer that was already like almost 18% uh, on its face. Definitely, um, while those beers get boozier, I think they they also mellow out in terms of how boozy they taste, which is a problem. Had uh, from Highland Park Brewing around here, uh, Beeper, their uh, New England Pale Ale. Had a, uh, from Jay Wakefield down in Miami. Had a uh, Levitard Saison, named for Dan Levitard. Um, had a 1903 lager from Craftsman, which is up in Pasadena. From Upland Brewing over in Indiana, had a Champagne Velvet Pilsner. Had a Made West IPA. Made West, I haven't seen more of their stuff around here. I feel like they uh, started canning and, and distributing more. Um, their stuff's pretty good. And for Modern Times, had an Everyday Tiger uh, double IPA. Was uh, was kind of a hazy uh, West Coast hybrid which if I'm going to have something hazy, that's kind of where I'd like to be and kind of that nice middle ground. I thought, you know, modern times, I always talk about them. They do such a great job. So decent amount of stuff, nothing crazy. Uh, A pretty good week all around, I think. Very nice. Indeed. Uh, One thing that we should talk about before we get into the last conversation is uh, O'Shea Brissett, somebody who we wondered why he was declaring for the draft we wondered if it would matter. Uh, we wondered when he was heading back. Uh, he still could head back. That said, um, O'Shea Brissett played so well at the, uh, the G League Combine thing that they had that he was one of 10 players to get an invite to the NBA Draft Combine. So Tyus Battle did not. 
And now uh, O'Shea Brissett will be, I think, one step closer to playing in the NBA this year. I know some scouts have shared that they think he should still go back for another year. Uh, he, he wouldn't be the first player to decide to ignore that advice um, if he chose to do so. But I think at the very least, like maybe some time with scouts give him an ability to maybe fix some parts of his game. I think he's already made some great strides. I think he fixed a lot of his shot this offseason from all accounts, and it seemed like he really did impress at the uh, the G League showcase by you know his, his jump shooting in particular, which is, I think, something that frustrated a lot of SU fans. So if he can get to the point where you know he's just a more consistent jump shooter again and maybe just a step beyond where he was as a freshman, I think he could be a real um, you know handful for defenses in – you know, the 2019-20 season and then be a key part of, you know, what hopefully ends up being, you know, a, a stronger tournament team than what we ended up rolling into this year's uh, postseason with. Yeah, I mean, if, if O'Shea does return and he has improved his jump shot to where it's like a consistent part of his game um, and, you know, gets uh, still continues to get better around the rim and plays the good defense that we know him to play, like it could be, I mean, I thought last year, uh, entering the year, there was, like, a, a decent chance that, like, O'Shea would even pass Tyus as the best player on the team. Um, that didn't happen. It doesn't mean that if O'Shea came back, he would just be the same player again, especially based on what we've heard from uh, the G League Combine. And him getting the bump up to the real Combine is, is no easy feat. I think only, like, what, 10 or 12 players got yeah, that. It was 10 of, guys total. Out of a couple dozen. So it was, like, he had to really impress, and it sounds like he did. And it sounds like he's gotten in like incredible shape and done all the things that you would hope um, someone testing the draft process would do. Um, now it doesn't sound like there's any guarantee that he gets drafted. Um, I think the production uh, in college is still going to hurt. And like, there are plenty of guys who show out in, in workouts and then aren't the same uh, when it comes to actual NBA play. Um, but it also only really takes like one team to get really impressed and like even just hint to him that they would take him in the second round if that's what his goal is. Um, so it's hard to know where, we, where we're at. It seems like I'm sure O'Shea wants to go if he can. Um, but hopefully he is, he, you know, uses all the information he gets. And, and if he goes, he goes with like a pretty good shot of making the NBA or, or at least like understands what he's getting into if he doesn't. Um, but if he comes back, I mean, all the better for Syracuse. I'm not going to begrudge him either way. We've been through this enough. Um, but it would be cool to see him come back with a more refined offensive game. And, and obviously I'm going to root for that in my own self-interest. Um, but we'll see. We still have, uh, I think, May 29th is the date for college players, uh, for the NCAA, to just, for players to return. So we have, it looks like exactly two weeks. Yeah, he's got some time. And like you said, like I think Ty's battle at the end of the day, like, no, he didn't improve his draft stock by coming back, but he did. Um, he did get his degree. He did, I think, improve as a basketball player. By coming back, and I think that helps Syracuse in a lot of ways. I think O'Shea Brissett could potentially do the same thing, and I think Brissett's actually, you know, in a position where he could actually improve by real like leaps and bounds. I think we were even realistic about that last year. That said, like, even if he's mostly the same player, saves him, uh, you know, fixes on the efficiency front. He he was still going to be like a good piece for Syracuse and 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 improve one for Syracuse. But I think, you know, when it comes to Brissett. He's somebody who, if he came back, would be, you know, somebody who could be eyeing some all ACC inclusion in the preseason, who could really look like, you know, a leader in a conference that was really hitting reset with uh, with talent across the board. Because there's a lot of these guys who uh, who 
bailed at, from some of the top teams. And that's not like to begrudge them at all. Do what you need to do. And, and, and I support them playing well enough to get in. I just think that, yeah, like if Brissett does come back, that there's a golden opportunity for him to potentially like dominate some games in the ACC. Yeah. It's an interesting comparison because battle, like we were glad he came back. Um, but we even last year thought like the biggest upgrades were just like becoming a better more consistent shooter, improving the efficiency, as you said, maybe rounding out his game. And that last thing is something he did really do this year. He was much a much better all-around player versus just being a scorer. Um, Prisette, uh has, I think, much more obvious holes in his game. Um, but that also means I think he has a lot more room to grow. Um, so we could, uh, we could definitely see it either way. You could also see a team saying, like, we'd love for you to improve in our, you know, see you develop in our G League team. So, and that could be a, I mean, that seems to be an, increasingly attractive things for players so uh we'll see what happens but but if Brissett does come back like there's definitely a universe in which if this jump shot has gotten uh squared away and that becomes a part of his game and he, even if he only shoots like you know something reasonable like 35 percent from three he would probably be like an all acc player just with that one improvement in his game yeah i, I completely agree on on all fronts there i think the it, it, if he can improve a little bit it's just going to depend on if the scouts can convince him, the scouts that are interested at least can convince him that being a two-way player is worth it and is going to, you know, get him to the league. I mean, there's been plenty of two-way players that have found success. There's a lot of G League guys that have found success at the NBA level. I think that, like, everyone's looking at a guy like Alonzo Trier, uh, who obviously played very well for the Knicks and, and, and earned himself, you know, a spot going from an undrafted free agent to being, like, a, a contracted you know, have it, have a two year guaranteed deal, the whole thing. But I think when it comes to Brissett, yeah, if, if someone convinces, if someone can convince him that, that a two way contract is worth it. And I think for him, like, I think he has to be realistic with himself. Like if a team is guaranteed to sign you after the draft and, and, and you can pick which team that is, that's probably a better alternative, uh, at least compared to just getting picked wherever, um, but we'll see. I, I think that I think this is going to be pretty interesting. I think he's one of the more interesting prospects um, hanging around the combine at this point because because there's so much up in the air for him. There's so much up in the air for the team. Uh, the fact that he's not on draft boards right now, I think, is, is notable, and it's something that he's probably going to be paying attention to to some extent. But really, those draft boards only know so much. At the end of the day, it's him and, and his representation. Uh, uh, should he get some? Um, talking to teams and scouts and, and figuring out, you know, where he he could potentially land. Yeah. And, and like with the NFL, it really only takes one team once you get into these like depth picks and second round picks. Um, but the problem is we've seen on a number of occasions, like it only takes one team, but you also like a team could, could indicate that they are that one team. And then you could get misled. I mean, we saw it happen going back a while now, Dante Green, where, it sounded like he had a, a much higher promise and then wound up going like mid to late first round versus like back in the lottery where I think people thought he might go. So um, obviously that was 12 years ago now, uh, but like the same thing holds things happen so quickly on draft night and trades happen that, you know, you want to go with some options on your table and not just like relying on the one team at like 56 saying they like you. Uh, and then who knows where that pick ends up when it comes time for them to use it. So we'll see. We do. We have two weeks. Uh, we'll probably hear a lot more as Brissette, uh measures in. I, I did his measurements coming today. I, I know a lot of players that I wasn't sure if everyone measured. 
Yeah, I, I didn't see anything. It didn't doesn't mean it didn't happen, however. Yeah, um, just to go check in on that. But um, yeah, we'll find out a lot more this week with him being at the combine. Should be interesting to see how he continues to perform now that we even takes like a step up in the competition uh, against like the surefire combine players versus the uh, the G League combine he was at uh, last week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure everybody else is too. Uh, a little bit more on basketball before we uh, wrap up here. I know we asked a question uh, in Slack. A couple people weighed in. Is Syracuse men's basketball a top-tier coaching job? I know one person on Twitter said it's more of a top 25 to 30 job. I think a lot of people kind of refuted that idea. It's not to even hate on the initial poster. It's just more to point out um, you know, what's happening right now from, from a program perspective, isn't necessarily what's going to, what, what has been the case long-term and what will be the case long-term. So I, I think, you know, in the article, we try to kind of, you know, divorce historical program success and current coaches success from, you know, the quality of a job. And that's in some cases easier than others. I think some of those things are married together, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, obviously, uh, Kentucky being in there. I think for me, I know like I listed like a potential top 20 that I was mostly sold on. And I think I said like at the end of the day, Syracuse still ends up in the top 10 to 12. Uh, But Dan, I know you didn't weigh in on this Slack conversation in particular. So if you have other other thoughts anywhere where I might be egregiously wrong, by all means, uh, hop on in. Yeah, I think that 10 to 15 range is good. Like you can't just take the last five years of results. Um, it's, it's a much bigger conversation than that. And that's why, you know, UCLA still has so many advantages, even if like maybe they are running the risk of losing their blue blood status. There's, there's still plenty there that, you know, attracts people, but um, Syracuse, the, the downsides for Syracuse are pretty specific. Um, their weather, they are, uh, I think the Dino Baber signing actually helps maybe quell some concerns about like how they would compete with pay. If Baber's not the, type of numbers that people seem to think he did on the football end. Um, I I don't think the fact that Jim Beheim has been giving a hometown discount forever necessarily means that we'd be looking for a coach to take the same discount for maybe not his hometown. And we are um, basketball first at the end of the day. Like, and that's we are a, basketball first. Like we're yeah, not like going we, to let this program just like fall apart just because we're being cheap. Yeah. What? Like Alabama gave Nate Oates, what? 2.5. Yeah. Like we would, we would pay more than that for, yeah, we'd uh, yeah, absolutely pay more than that. If we thought Nate Oates was like the the coach to, to like keep things going, um, or were to make a hire like that, we we would go over two and a half. Like I feel very confident in that. Um, on the same end, we have excellent facilities. Uh, we play in the best league in the country. Um, we have even like even our lean years, like we're still like a Final Four threat every time we're in the tournament. It feels like um, just based on like the two unexpected runs. Um, it's, there's just a lot. There's a lot going for it. I'm not going to say it's you know it's not a Kansas or Kentucky or Duke or UNC, but I think there's like a pretty big group of the tier two schools um, that you can argue over. And even if you're on the back end of that, like I, I think it's hard to say we're outside the top fifteen, and that's to be conservative. Yeah, I mean, this conversation started with me basically challenging anyone. <laughs> Tell me fifteen programs that are in a better position to make the final four year in and year out. Um, and I think recent, I think recent events, while I tried to remove them, I think like Arizona's in an iffy spot and I think they've proven how quickly and easily they can kind of drop off. I think 
Villanova and Virginia seem like two of the more interesting cases to me about where they should fall, if only because like, you know, Villanova's looked like hot garbage for a decent amount of the last 30 years. Um, so is Virginia. So like, how do you, how do you view them given their current status in the basketball world versus where they're going to be? I think they're very good jobs and I have them in the top 20, but, uh, you know, going to the caveats that I listed in the article, I think, you know, it's hard to include any non P5 program among the top 15. And I think for Virginia, they're just outside if only because we don't know what this looks like over even a 10 year stretch yet, never mind longer. Yeah. And that's where I think Syracuse runs into a couple of interesting issues. You can make the Villanova or Virginia argument, like what do they do without Jay Wright or Tony Bennett? Now you can say the same, same thing about Syracuse. Obviously Bayham has been around a lot longer, but we don't know what Syracuse will look like without Jim Bayheim. But you would think that with the other things going for it and the dedication to the program and the fact that we draw 30,000 fans for like any big game, um, the resources are there to make a good hire. It doesn't mean you will, but it like, their ability is there and the dedication is there. Um, and for Virginia Villanova, I, I feel better about Villanova just because they've had multiple like legendary coaches in the last 30 years and they have like titles under multiple people. Um, I feel pretty good that they would do a good job, but I think there is uh, Syracuse almost shares in some of the, in basketball, especially almost has some of the advantages that like a big state school has because of the, the, how large the fan base is um, where Villanova you're, you're, uh, on a little bit more of like a tightrope. Um, so it, it's hard to know without seeing what happens in the next steps. Like, I mean, I think Jay Wright could be a Villanova for another 20 years. Um, Tony Bennett, I think is a little more interesting in Virginia because I do think that program might not have the same, like, I don't know at the end of the day, if they're going to have the same exact dedication, although I could see him staying around because he seems to really like it there. But for Hughes, like, I, I don't think, um, the powers that be are going to want to see this thing fall apart, especially because it's been such the ba- such a backbone of the community and the athletic department. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's a that's an interesting aspect of it that and it's hard to really know full, like fully about each individual school's uh, situation there. Um, I know the one, and Michigan and Maryland were raising a lot of eyebrows when it came to including them above Syracuse. I think the, the money Michigan has at its disposal puts it there along with the fact that they have been a very successful basketball school um, over the last like decade plus. I think for me, Maryland's there because of its proximity to, to DMV recruits, uh, because of the fact that like I don't think they've hired all that well since Gary Williams, but I also think that like they're in a prime position in the Big Ten to be a top three team every year and a potential Final Four contender. And I think that that makes it a quality job. I think they're willing to pay, even if they haven't necessarily paid the right people um, to date. And I think that, you know, you're you're allowed to to, to get a lot of ramp and, and a lot of time to, to succeed. And then, I mean, w- once you get to a certain place, I think you have to turn the page and, and get to more successful uh, points. But I think that, uh, when it comes to Maryland basketball, I think that it, it, it is a very good job, and it might be a better job than Syracuse, despite the current state of the Terps and, and, and recent, uh, you know, just results for them. I, I definitely see Michigan just because that that athletic department as a whole and that fan base as a whole. Like, I don't think Michigan fans are great basketball fans, but they're there. Uh, there were a ton of them in the Final Four when we were there in our 13. None of them seemed to really follow the program that much directly, but they made the trip. So I guess it counts for something. Um, especially compared to like us and Louisville fans who obviously are basketball fans um, and Wichita. But um, 
Maryland's interesting because I do I see the arguments and I think on paper they have all the like everything that should put them even maybe a step above Syracuse. I just don't think we've seen it since their title. Like there just hasn't been the consistent success, even compared to like even with Syracuse's inconsistency the last however many years since 2013, basically. Like Maryland hasn't done an appreciably more, and they've been in the Big Ten and. You know, at some point in the next two decades, they will start getting full Big Ten payouts. Um, it just seems like there's more promise there than there is like actual deliverable success. Yeah, I, I totally think that's a fair point. I, I I wouldn't fight tooth and nail for the Maryland inclusion. I think, to be honest, I think the Florida one is probably worth worth, worth more of a battle than anything else um, in, in in that gray area. Florida is you know, like I think the biggest issue for Florida is like how much they care. I think they care. I, I think they care enough. I mean, I agree with the points that that some people made in the comments that you know Florida at the end of the day you're always going to be second fiddle to football, and I agree. But I think that also gives you time to build, um, and I think because they have the resources to pay really whoever they want, um, save a few coaches. Like I think that it's an interesting job. But yeah, I, I could accept an argument either way on them. I think Gonzaga was another interesting one on here. Uh, yeah, there's no like definite answers. I think yeah. I think the best way to do it is to like walk them off into tiers, and I think you can definitely include all those schools in the same tier as Syracuse and make good arguments for them. I would concur. Uh, well, we still have a few minutes left here, Dan. Um, while SU men's lacrosse is no longer in the NCAA tournament, the women's team is. They'll be facing Northwestern on Saturday, and I believe it's 2 p.m. Eastern time. That'll be on. Uh, I think it's. Big Ten Go or Big Ten to Go? I don't know. Some stupid thing that they name their streaming service. So it's like it's, it is like BTN to Go, like number whatever. two, whatever. Go, because we're using like 2009 app naming conventions still for things. Obviously, um, I mean that sounds like the Big Ten in, uh, in its entirety. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they're basically like a really like. They're like a too big for their own good uh, Silicon Valley startup that like that like makes money like like just prints cash but like doesn't actually know what it does. I mean, did you see the 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 information today? The like they made like seven hundred and fifty million dollars last year. Yeah, so <laughs> no money to play the players though. It's all yeah, it's all none. it's all accounted for. Absolutely none. But yeah, I uh, I really hope Syracuse beats Northwestern. They've never won in Evanston. Uh, yes, would exercise a lot of demons, even though Northwestern isn't the program it was like five years ago. I mean, they're still. They're still I mean, no, they're, they're, yeah, they're not the behemoth they were, uh, but at the same time, I think Maryland's like kind of taken that spot. Yeah, I mean, they but, were like bizarre dynasty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it's now it's a little bit different. Nonetheless, though, they they are the four seed uh, or the fifth seed. We didn't want this draw. We wanted Notre Dame to beat them. They did not. So I'm pretty optimistic here. I know SU already played them by uh, definition. Obviously, that means Northwestern has already played Syracuse as well. Um, I think that that SU has the ability to win this. I think they played kind of sloppy against Georgetown, but it also was like a rainier day. So I want to say we win this game, but I, I think a close loss would not surprise me in the least, unfortunately. I'll, I'll stay optimistic. I think I picked us to beat when this game we ran through our brackets uh, last. Oh yeah, we uh, <laughs> we didn't. You didn't hear that. Yeah, we, the thing we didn't do. <laughs> totally not not a bit I was doing. I completely forgot that the episode didn't post. <laughs> Christ. 
no orange. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we're pretty much done here, Dan. Uh, we got about forty-five seconds. So anything else you uh, you want to say before we uh, bounce? No. Looking forward to uh, moving in through the summer here, and uh, hopefully, college football will be here sooner than we think. Yeah, we have uh, we have our traditional conference previews that half of you like and half of you hate. Um, coming up soon, we'll have Get to Know Your Orange, a bunch of other stuff on the site. Uh, guess if you want to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on any other service you listen to this podcast on, please be sure to do that and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>